This morning, that is going to be the text that we're going to look at today, and we're going to talk about the coming of peace. Anybody here think that we need some peace in this world? We live in a world with lots of conflict, lots of unrest, lots of hatred, a world filled with troubles and unrest and hate, racism and murder and strife and division and anxiety and distrust. I think we were all shocked this week as a U.S. naval base was attacked in a naval training center class, and a a Saudi citizen who was here for training supposedly had a murder in his heart and caused untold grief in a heinous act of hatred. We live in a world that's filled with tribulations and difficulty and hard things. We also live in a world where our own souls are troubled, aren't they? And we feel the conflict within us. We see it in our own culture. One in six Americans over the age of 12 are on antidepressant drugs or other coping drugs, psychiatric drugs. One in six over the age of 12 are taking that kind of medicine. Murder and violent crime are exploding in our cities, even in close to us, in the St. Louis metro area, was identified this year as the most violent city in the United States. This is close to home. Springfield, Illinois, is one of those top 20 cities as well. Chicago, Illinois, Detroit, all over our country, we're seeing it again and again the most dangerous city where there's so many murders per 100,000 residents. The divorce rate skyrockets. There's confusion within us, confusion about who we are, our own identity, our own lives. Suicide continues to grow, not only among teens and young adults, but senior adults, a sense of hopelessness, hopelessness and confusion and inner turmoil and conflict. It is against this backdrop of hurt and pain and despair that Isaiah the prophet speaks about one who will come that will bring peace. Let's look at the scripture verse again that we just looked at and uh, as well as some other verses Notice it says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in land of deep darkness, On them, light has shone. 
You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you've broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Father in heaven, as we look into your word today, I pray that you would speak to us about the hope of peace that we have in Jesus Christ. And Father, that we might come to realize and know that peace in our own hearts and lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Isaiah was an 8th century prophet. He was a prophet of God. He lived in Judah. He was the son of Amoz. He prophesied during the reign of four different kings, Uzziah or Azariah, and uh, which is a godly king, and, and then there's the call of Isaiah during his reign, and then Jotham for a short reign, and then Ahaz, an ungodly king. Even though there was some level of prosperity during his reign, there was ungodliness and a lack of faith in God. And then Hezekiah from 716 to 786. It was a time that Assyria was on the rise as a superpower and was threatening the whole world, and particularly under that threat during the rise of Tilgath-Pileser III, as he began to threaten Syria and Aram and, and then also Samaria and Israel, they began to form an alliance, and they, they began to say to the, this is during the divided kingdom, right? And so you have the southern tribes, the tribe of Judah, the Jerusalem, and then you have Samaria or Israel and the ten tribes. And you, so you see, during this time of divided kingdom, yet there's a brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And Israel is saying to Judah, won't you make an alliance with us and with Syria? But the prophet Isaiah warns against it and said, don't put your trust in those alliances, but trust in God because he will take care of us. And trust in him. So won't you seek him? Won't you ask for a sign? And he did not ask for a sign. But here's the sign that will be given to you. A virgin will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. God is with us. Wow. And so Isaiah is saying, trust in God. And don't. But instead, he writes to Telgleth Pileser III, the the king of Assyria, and says, I need some help because these other nations are rebelling against you. 
They want me to join in the rebellion, and I need help. He then sends his troops, and he wipes out Syria, and he defeats Israel, Samaria, and ultimately in 722, the nation of Israel is destroyed and taken into captivity. It's during this time that Isaiah is prophesying. And he's saying there's one that is coming who's going to bring peace. Even in a world filled with fear and conflict, there's one that will bring peace. And in the land of Naphtali and Zebulun, those are the northern regions of Galilee where Assyria and its troops would first come over the border into the land. He says a place of gloom. God's going to turn it into glory. If you have your Bible, look with me to the ninth chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 9. And notice he says, there'll be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he will make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan Galilee of the Gentiles. And then he says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Hmm. So it goes from darkness to light. Those who live in the land, the light will shine on them. And they, thou shalt multiply the nation and increase their gladness. And they will be glad in thy presence, as with the gladness of the harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. He says, you're going to reverse the circumstances. That there's going to be, where there was gloom, there's going to be glory. Where there was suffering, there'll be celebration. Where there was darkness, there's going to be light. And where there was defeat, there will be victory. Because God is in charge of this and not man. It was under Ahaz, it was a time of war and threats and distress and darkness. But God says, I'm going to reverse the circumstances. I'm going to remove your enemies, and I'm going to bring a reign, a reign of righteousness and peace through my coming. In Matthew's gospel, chapter number four, when Jesus moved his ministry to Galilee, he quotes, Matthew quotes this very passage of Scripture, because at the coming and the preaching of Jesus, the light is shining in Galilee that was prophesied. It was a promise of God that he would bring peace. Now, where, where do we find that promises? You find it all throughout Scripture. Look with me to Isaiah chapter... Now, if you're going to need your Bible today, because we're going to look at a bunch of Scripture verses. Isaiah chapter number 2, if you have your Bible, notice in verse number 2, it will come about in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. 
and nation will not lift up sword against nation. And never again will they learn of war. Man, that makes me honk. Y'all long for that and hunger for that? The people are streaming to the mountain of the Lord, and all the nations are drawn to it. And people are hungry for the knowledge of God, and that God himself will judge, and God himself will do a work in our heart. And the people take their instruments of war and their instruments of violence, and they turn them into instruments of peace and prosperity and blessing. God, do it. Never again in the heart of men will be this kind of anger and hate hostility. That is a forward look to the coming of Jesus, not just his first coming, but also his second coming, and it will be glorious. Amen? Oh, it's promised also in Isaiah chapter number 11. Do you have your Bible? Isaiah chapter number 11. We could be in Isaiah all day today, all right? In Isaiah chapter number 11, beginning verse, look with me to verse number 1, please. And he says, a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Who is Jesse? Jesse is the father of whom? David. And from this shoot, a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Who is this? Is this an earthly king? No, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decision by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he'll judge the poor and decide with fairness the afflicted of the earth. And he'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he'll slay the wicked. And the righteousness will be a belt about his loins, and faithfulness, the belt about his waist. Now listen, listen. And the wolf will lie down, dwell with the lamb. Do wolves lie down with lambs? No, lambs are on the menu for wolves. But in this kingdom of peace, a leopard will lie down with a kid, a small baby goat, and a calf and a young lion, fatling, the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Verse 7, the cow and the bear will graze. He says, carnivores are now eating grass, not meat. And the young will lie, their young will lie down together. And a lion will eat straw like an ox. Now, this one gives Christy a lot of trouble. A nursing child will play by the hole of a cobra. That bother anybody to see your little child that's just a toddler, a little one-year-old, two-year-old? said, where have you been? I said, I've been out playing with the cobra. What do you think about that? Not in this world but in a new kingdom, a kingdom of peace and rule. God reigns. And the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. Verse 9, they will not hurt 
or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And it will come about in that day that nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the people, and his resting place will be glorious, glorious. This is what God will do. I'm telling you, my friends, with the coming again of Jesus Christ, he's going to restore a righteous rule and peace like we have never known, but we have always longed for. We will live in a world and a kingdom where there'll be no hate, there'll be, there'll be no crime. Get this, you won't have locks on your doors because you won't need them. No weapons, no killing, no fear, no threats, no need for police, no war, no deception. But the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. Won't that be, anybody hungry for that? Be glorious. This is the promise that God has made to us. Next, he introduces to us in chapter number nine, this prince of peace. Let's look at these titles that are here. They're really attributes about him. This child will be born, a son given to us, verse six, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. He's a wonder, a wonderful and a wonder of a counselor. When the word wonder here means he does only what God can do. And he gives counsel and wisdom that comes from heaven. Has anybody ever noticed that the counsel you get here on earth is not always good counsel. It's sometimes not godly counsel, and it's often not helpful counsel. But the counsel that God gives comes from heaven. And it's always right. He listen, I don't know what your troubles are or your problems are. Listen, listen. I know a wonderful counselor that can meet you at the deepest need of your brokenness and bring healing into your life because he's no ordinary counselor. He is the Prince of Peace. He's also called Mighty God. This child, a child born, will be given the moniker of Mighty God. What does that mean? And he's unlike any other man that ever walked the face of this earth. When we saw him, we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, John says. Amen. Eternal Father. That means he treats us like a father. He cares for us like a father. Now, some of us grew up in a home without a father. Some of us grew up in a home with an absentee father. Some of us grew in a home, raised in a home, with an abusive father. But he says, you will know an everlasting father who loves you with a love like you've never, that you always longed for. He'll love you with that love. And that's what Jesus will do. He's called the Prince of Peace. 
Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. Now, all of these are wrapped up in one word, Emmanuel. God is with us. Wow! If God is with us, we can face anything in this world. Amen? That's what this Christmas story is all about. What kind of, this is not only his attributes, but his acts. What kind of acts does he have? What kind of actions does he carry out? Notice chapter number 9. It says, there'll be no end to the increase of his government or peace. On the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, he's going to establish his kingdom. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. His purposeful, passionate work for us will carry this out for us. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 1. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 1. The angel in a dream to Joseph says concerning Jesus, you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. What kind of peace does he provide? The Prince of the prince provides peace for us. Hmm. Notice, you remember the story, don't you, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, where the shepherds are out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appears and, and uh, in all of his glory, and he tells them about the good news of the baby that's been born in Bethlehem. And it says, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, heavenly armies of angels, saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, listen, peace among those whom he's pleased. Peace are to those whom he's pleased. What kind of peace? And who receives this peace? It's the peace that God provides for all of us. And this comes to the most important part of our sermon. The first thing he provides for us is peace with God. Anybody had somebody that was an enemy in your life? Oh, come on now. Got anybody that ever treated you meanly? had hostility towards you, refused to be reconciled with you. And sometimes we just deal with it. Sometimes we're hurt by it. And sometimes we say, I just, I don't, it's okay. Just let it go. But what do you do when the one that has an issue with you is God? That's serious now. Because there's an issue between me and God, and I've offended holy God. How can I be made right with him? That's what the Bible's all about, isn't it? About, that's about the coming of Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace because only Jesus can make peace with God for all of mankind. 
He took upon flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory, full of grace and truth. But Jesus came as a servant, and he came to bear our sins so that we might be made right with God. How many of y'all have ever sinned in your life? Right? All of us. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, if we say we have no sin, that we deceive ourselves and truth is not in us. The Bible says, there's none righteous, no, not even one. And the Bible says, the soul that sins will surely die. There's death with sin. The day that you eat it, you will surely die, he told the first man and woman in the garden. And when they ate it, death came into man, and destruction and fallenness and wickedness. Within the next generation, we see murder. It's the fall of man. It is the corruption in the world. And while we're made in the image of God, we've been corrupted by our sinfulness, and, and there's enmity between us and God. The wages of sin is death. And we've all sinned and we're all deserving of death. When lust was conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. We're all under the sentence of death. We're all accountable for sin. We're all under the righteous judgment of God because there's none right, no, not even one. But here's the good news. God has a plan for us. He sent a son. He sent Emmanuel, God with us. And he came to restore us and to bring peace with God. Isaiah chapter number 53 Listen to the scripture, verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, We are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity, the sin, the twistedness, the disturbed, the the most distorted part of us, the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Our Savior Jesus came and showed us the love of God, but he died on Calvary's cross and he paid for all of our sins that we might have peace with God. He bore our sins, he paid our debt, and he was punished for our sin. By his stripes, we are healed. A righteous man And there's only one, Jesus, who fulfilled the law of God and in the eyes of God, completely righteous, 
but a completely righteous man died for unrighteous men and women so he might bring us to God. It's the most glorious news I know in all of the world. Peace with God. Accomplished by the Prince of Peace for all of us. It also helps bring peace with each other. It's reconciliation that happens in Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking about this great truth. And he's talking about there's two different kinds of people. There's Jews and Gentiles and those that had no standing. He says in chapter 2, verse 12, you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, by himself, is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing what? Peace. And might reconcile them both into one body to God. How? Through the cross. And having put to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him... We have access in one spirit to the Father. Woo! Glorious! That's what our Savior did. Our Savior died for sinners. He died for Gentiles. And He died for Jews. And He fulfilled the commandments. And He abolished the things that separated us from God and separated us from one another. And in Christ, he reached out with golden chains of grace and has drawn all humanity to himself in the cross of Jesus Christ, establishing peace, and that is glorious. And only the Prince of Peace could do such a thing. Wow. Isn't that good news? The book of Colossians. Chapter 1, verse number 20. Verse 19 says, It is the Father's good pleasure for all fullness to dwell in Him. And through Him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself, having been made what? Peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things are heaven, and although you formerly were alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and above reproach. <laughs> he took sorry old sinful Tim, lost and in hostility and filled with anger and sorriness, and sin, and he reached down in grace and 
awakened me to the glory of Jesus and what he's done for me. And I saw my Savior there dying for my sin. And I turned from sin and embraced him. And God in heaven restored me to himself through the cross of Jesus Christ. That is glorious. That's what he's done for us. He made peace with you and for you. Colossians chapter number 2, verse number 13. It says in verse, And you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but he made you alive. You were dead and now you're alive, having forgiven all your transgressions. Love this, love this, love this, verse 14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. Anybody owe any debts in your life? You owe any creditors in your life? You ever broken any laws in your life? You ever had a bench warrant in your life? You ever have outstanding debts in your life? We all do, because we're all sinners before a holy God. And he took every one of those certificates of death, and he nailed them to the cross, and he paid for them in full. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consistent of decrees against us, which were hostile to us, he's taken them out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Hallelujah. He disarmed rulers and authorities and made a public display of them and triumphed over them through him. He died for our sins and he rose again. And he's victor and he's king and he's Lord. Amen? That's how we have peace with God. Listen, God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our part that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Now, let me tell you about this peace with God. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. It's a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. Not as a result of your works, lest any man boast. So, my friends, listen to me. Listen. Stop your striving. Stop your trying to earn your salvation. Stop your judging yourself and judging others. Stop your legalism in your mind. Amen. And preach the gospel to your own self, in your small group, and in our church. The work of grace is in Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and not in us. Amen. Amen. Jesus is our peace. He gives us peace with God, but he gives us something else. He gives us the peace of God. The peace of God that comes into your mind and your heart. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, The steadfast mind thou shalt keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in thee. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 27 Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be fearful or afraid. Can I tell you about the Prince of Peace? The Prince of Peace reconciled you to God, but the Prince of Peace comes to live in your heart, and the Spirit of Christ comes to live in you. Jay preached about it the other day. Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. Christ dwells in you. And Christ gives you a peace that passes all understanding. In chapter 16 of John, verse 33, these things I've spoken to you that you may have peace. Now listen, in this world, you'll have trouble, tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Isn't that good news? Anybody ever get anxious about things in this world? I do sometimes. Listen, I come from a long lineage of worriers. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. If I'm not worrying, I'm worried about why I'm not worrying. And so I'm just, you know, I'm, uh, I don't know where this word, I don't even know what this word means, but we use this phrase all the time. He's just a worry wart. I don't know what that means, but it's not pretty. You just worry about anything and everything. Anybody else a worrier here? You know what has a way of, let me tell you about worry does. Worry undercuts your faith in God. Because worry exposes that you're relying on yourself and not on God. Why worry? I was in Jamaica years and years and years ago, many years ago, just after the ark. And... Uh, I was just an 18-year-old kid preaching in Jamaica for a summer. And uh, I was out in the middle of the jungle, really. There was no electricity. They had a little generator out there. And, and uh, they had a few light bulbs on a string in a little concrete block church building. And people operated on Jamaica time. That means we told people that service is going to start at 6, and they started showing up about 7, 7.15, before long, that whole church building was filled with people. And, uh, and those, it wasn't just filled with people. Those little light bulbs were a signal to every mosquito in the jungle. Come on in. Dinner's buffets being served. And so it was fogged with mosquitoes. And they were singing, and we didn't have all the instruments like this. We didn't have, but they were singing. And there was a, a little accordion playing and tambourines. And we were singing. They were singing songs I knew and songs I didn't know. One of the songs they sang was this. Why worry when you can pray? Trust Jesus. He'll be your stay. Don't be like Doubting Thomas. Rely upon his promise. Why worry, 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 worry when you can pray? Isn't that good? And so I was sitting there, I was sitting there between these Jamaican, there's a, a, an older Jamaican woman on this side of me and a, and a, and a Jamaican man, an older Jamaican man on the other side of me. And so she was just singing and I was singing, I was learning, I was just having the biggest time, mosquitoes were fogging everywhere. And she was just, she didn't miss rhythm at all. I have no rhythm. She didn't miss rhythm at all. She's shaking that tambourine, slapping and killing mosquitoes on me at the same time. But it was glorious. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your what? 
mind in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, he'll give you the peace of God. He'll meet you at the deepest point of your worry and your fear and your pain. And he will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. That's what my God will do for you. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and sound mind judgment. I'm telling you, the enemy wants to, the enemy wants you to think you're weak, but you're not. You're strong. The enemy wants you to make you think you're confused, but you're not. You've got the light of the glory of Christ dwelling in you. And the enemy wants you to think that you're losing your mind, but he'll give you peace in your mind. I don't know how troubled your heart is today, but there's a Prince of Peace. And that Prince of Peace has reconciled you to God, but that Prince of Peace lives in your heart and he will give you the peace that's beyond any understanding amen let the peace of christ paul says in colossians 3 verse 15 rule in your heart to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful how can this peace be realized how can we know this peace? Hmm. If you look in your Bible, understand that peace can only be found through Jesus Christ. In the book of Romans, chapter number 5, verse 1, therefore, listen, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God is in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. But we're justified by faith. We put our trust in Jesus Christ alone. In chapter number four, he makes the whole argument. Abraham believed God. It was reckoned to his righteousness. His righteousness was not circumcision. He believed God before he was circumcised. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He looked at his own body, good as dead. He looked at Sarah's womb, and it was dried up. And God said, you're going to have a son. And he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And this is the way faith is realized. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe that Jesus rose again. I believe that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And I believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. And I put my faith in Him alone. And you're justified by faith in Christ. There's not many ways. There's one way. And it's in the Prince of is it all fully realized yet? Oh, yes. Yes, it is. But he is, he's delaying his coming until all things are ready. He's, he's, he's not slack. He doesn't want any to perish, to all to come to repentance. 
So he's given us this great ministry of reconciliation to preach. But oh, don't think he's not coming again. <laughs> he is. And he's coming again. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And Isaiah will be fulfilled. And we'll see it. And it will be glorious. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven. I pray that if there's somebody here who's never trusted Christ, that today they would give their heart and life to him. Oh God, we have no hope but you. We run to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.